0: self-care. I'm
1: holding on to
0: this self-care with every ounce of me. (laughs) Join us as we journey through sharing together. This week's guest is doula and business owner Erica Chidi Cohen. I connected with Erica most likely on social media a few years ago. There
1: is a positive component to social media and there is a negative I will tell my clients I'm like no social media I'm like, because I think it's so important for us to hold on to our imagination around what we see the experience looking like.
0: The diversity in the doula space is kind of scarce. I love Erica most because she is giving a voice to specifically women of color. I'm
1: first generation Nigerian American. When it comes to being a doula in a very white space, I it's a part of my lineage to step into this work.
0: And she's a business owner. She is a loving postpartum and pre-birth doula, more of that is needed. We need to see more women of color in these spaces, and Erica is making room for us.
1: Once we made that shift and we started telling people, this is what is behind Loom, this is what's motivating it, we got so much positive feedback. You know, LGBTQ families needing more support, you know, different ways of moving through pregnancy or conception. It doesn't feel like it's only for me
0: this is Erica's story. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. It's so good to have you on the show, Erica. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited and honored to just have some time with you. I am
0: too. There's so much going on with you. And we're going to dive into that in a minute. But for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, can you please let us know a little bit about who you are?
1: Yeah, so I am a birth and postpartum doula. I'm also a lactation educator counselor and more or most newly. I'm now an author of a book.
0: Uh, called nurture.
1: <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> the book called nurture: the modern guide to pregnancy, birth, and early motherhood, and trusting your body and trusting yourself. So yeah, in terms of you know how I fit into this world, I basically help people navigate you know preconception through to you know the first few months after they have a baby, kind of catering to whatever feels right for them
0: that's wonderful and amazing so your business your brand uh your company is called loom you just did a big rebrand though because it wasn't loom initially
1: no it wasn't so yeah thank you for pulling that in i had a previous business before called the mama circle mm-hmm. where i was a solo practitioner and i had that for a few years and i then decided to take on a business partner And through that partnership, we decided to rebrand and I actually ended up selling the Mama Circle and creating this new brand called Loom that encapsulated a lot of the things I was doing as a solo practitioner. But the feeling was we wanted to be larger, incorporate more people into our team and also serve more people in our community, which meant that it would be moving out of people's homes Mm -hmm. and that kind of one-on-one into an actual physical space.
0: Are you excited about this next step? Because I feel I feel as though rebranding can be really daunting and, and tricky. I actually am rebranding my skincare line. I'm oh, in the midst it. of that. Yeah. So we were once balm and co and now we are nectar and moon. Uh, Ooh, love that botanical skincare. So, you know, rebranding has been, you know, interesting while pregnant. <laughs> but just as a woman in business, were you scared? to do the shift and if so what kind of pushed you through like you got this you guys can handle this
1: well i think i was initially pretty nervous about it but you know my personality i love change i i thrived in kind of constant kind of unexpected energy Mm -hmm. and i think when i developed the mama circle you know i really was focused primarily on women. And I was infusing a lot of kind of contemporary energy into a space that for a long time, if you think kind of what to expect when you're expecting, Mm -hmm. was pretty antiquated and hadn't really evolved. And, you know, in the four or five years I had that business, I think it really developed to its full potential in terms of what it could do. And when we looked at moving into Loom, a couple other things were happening kind of like in the zeitgeist, like, you know, just you know, LGBTQ families needing more support, mm-hmm. um, you know, different ways of moving through pregnancy or conception and wanting to move away from this kind of mom centric narrative mm-hmm. and make it more communal because people are typically not having babies, you know, on their own. They're usually their families involved or their partners involved. And so it felt really good fun to move from something that was like the mama circle to loom which is about weaving together your community weaving together your options and it felt like a true reflection of who we were as business owners and in the and the environment that we were in so although it felt scary we felt like no, this is the right way to go right now because this is how people are showing up in this experience and we really felt I think from a feminist perspective too it was important to kind of free up the women in this kind of reproductive narrative to know that they can lean into their community and and to bring in the community. And so I think once we made that shift and we started telling people, like, this is what is behind Loom, this is what's motivating it, we got so much positive feedback, whether it was like, oh, I feel that's so cool because I feel like I could plug my partner into this and they won't feel, you know, kind of like left out or, you know, like I can plug my like mother and my grandmother into this and like, it doesn't feel like, you know, it's only for me. And so it was scary, but the quick affirmation from the people around us in the community made it feel right.
0: I, you know, I love that about Loom when I was just stalking the Instagram, when I first rediscovered that you guys had done this shift it's so much more diverse and inclusive, not just of women and women of color, but also of the, the LGBTQ community, like you mentioned, and the dads. There was one post where you mentioned that modern doulas support all birth outcomes. And me reading that, I was just like, this that is what a doula is supposed to be. That is what I would look for as a pregnant woman. No matter, you know, the outcome, I'm still going to be supported. And I feel as though, and I, and I want to dive into this a little bit, that sometimes the midwifery and doula space can be kind of close-minded. I don't know if that's the word, or really centric on certain things. Like, okay, having a, having a home birth, experience. But if that doesn't go well, then, you know, there's this disappointment from all angles. Or if a couple needs fertility support, you know, I've had a personal experience with a doula who shifted her interest in me when she found out my husband and I needed fertility support. So it was really refreshing to see that loom was for all mothers and all families. Can you talk a little bit about that um, in that in that space of, you know, the different ways that doulas and midwives approach people couples and their experiences with pregnancy and birth
1: for sure I mean and thank you so much for you know saying that in terms of just noticing the inclusivity piece I think it's so well let's back up a little bit yeah you're right midwives and doulas you know do have some have very prescriptive ways of how they want to move through you know trying to conceive or TTC your pregnancy and your kind of early postpartum parenting experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think in the past, that's been fine. You know, I think people just do the best that they can with the information that they have and that's where it lands. But what I've realized kind of is what's needed right now in this very, you know, sensitive, complex climate that we're in, Mm -hmm. whether no matter how you're coming to this experience is, options, flexibility, mm-hmm. and no judgment in yeah. the support process. Yeah. Because the truth is as a as a, whether you're a midwife or a doula, it's not your experience. Mm. It's not your birth. Mm-hmm. It's not your life and as a result of that, it's so important to always stay curious and say, what is what is my client thinking? Like what is my client trying to negotiate? And like how can I be a good container for them to have their own experience. So that means if someone comes to me and they say, Hey, you know, I want to have a planned cesarean birth. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or if they're still using more kind of tight language or saying, I want to have a C-section. I try as a sidebar. I think verbiage language is so important. So I say cesarean birth because Mm -hmm. a birth is still a birth. If a client's coming to me and saying that that's where they want to go instead of me saying like, you know, have you thought about other options or do you think that's going to be best for you? Mm. I'm going to say to them, tell me more about that decision. You know, tell me what's brought you there. Mm -hmm. Because for example, I think things that are not typically brought to the table is a lot of women have sexual trauma, have had things happen to them Mm -hmm. that make the idea of a vaginal delivery very, very triggering or activating. Mm. And so when we have someone railing towards that type of decision, You really have to think what are the motivating factors so that's one thing and i think you know if people were hearing more that all birth is natural Hmm. okay doesn't matter if you're having a medicated birth unmedicated vaginal cesarean birth it's all still natural to move through the process the way that you need to it's natural to have a baby you know whether you've had help with conception or not. Mm -hmm. And my feeling really, I think the term natural birth is really divisive. It puts women into camps. It creates competition where it doesn't belong. Mm. And I do feel like a lot of midwives and doulas over the past, maybe say 20 years or so have really leaned into even my first training I took as a doula, that concept of natural birth was very much embedded, whether it's, you know, the Ina May Gaskin or these kind of seminal texts that really you know, push a certain narrative, Mm -hmm. you know, it's what we initially are exposed to. And so if you, if you don't choose to augment your belief system, you can stay with that and be very ingrained and ends up not helping as many people. And so I feel really passionate about, and I know a flood of doulas who stand in the same space as me saying that, you know, all birth is natural. We're here to support whatever outcomes feel comfortable for you. And having a doula doesn't mean, or working with a midwife doesn't mean you're having a home birth, you know? Mm, yeah. It could be birthing in a hospital, one, depending on what state you live in, especially with midwives. Secondly, I think the doulas do their best work in the hospital. I feel like the hospital is the most transient, complex, kind of isolating environment. The average labor is like 10 to 12 hours average. Most are longer. You know, the nurses shift every seven hours. So, You don't have someone continuously there with you, especially because your primary or reproductive care provider will only come at the third stage of labor when you're starting to push. Right. And so having a doula, they're there the whole time. And that continuous care and continuous labor support has been shown empirically to reduce the need for interventions unless you've chosen to introduce them. So that's kind of a long spiel to say that I think it's just so important that doulas, midwives, OBs meet their clients or patients where they're at and not try to put their own belief systems or their own philosophies into that individual. And we need to just be much more supportive and much less shaming of people deciding what's best for their bodies.
0: That, oh, I love you. That's everything. (laughs) Um, That's literally what I needed. (laughs) No, um, like, I cannot. <laughs> you and I have had that. some personal conversations so you know like I needed that
1: yeah yes girl.
0: so just moving forward <laughs> because I want to talk about social media and the birth experience there's a lot of there there are a lot of social media pages that glorify home birth which it is gorgeous it is a lovely you know I've never done it but the photos are lovely and the language that is used during, you know, the postings and stuff, it makes you want to have a home birth, right? So let me just use myself as an example. While my husband and I were trying to conceive, you know, I was on all those birthing pages and I was convinced I was going to have a home birth, not even knowing the logistics, right? Just I'm going to do this. That woman and her partner look beautiful in that bath. (laughs) Like I want, I want (laughs) to deliver my baby in the water and I want it to be at home, and I want a midwife, and I want a doula. And it was just me being kind of comparative, like if she can do it, I can do it. And now that I'm pregnant, things have completely shifted. And I think you and I have talked about this too. (laughs) Yes, I have a midwife, but I will be delivering in a hospital after doing some research and just feeling comfortable with that decision more and more as the pregnancy progresses. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do do you think social media can kind of glorify the home birthing experience and in turn shame the hospital birthing experience? And if you have a mom who is giving birth at home and then things don't go as planned, how do you support her in the transition to the hospital birth? I know that's a lot and that's a really loaded question, but I had to try to get that out there in some way.
1: No, I love it. That's not loaded at all. That's like my lane all day. So, my feelings about that are, you know, kind of manifold. So, one, I do what's interesting about social media, and I say this to my clients, and I say this when I'm teaching there is a positive component to social media, and there is a negative component to social media. Always. (laughs) I think, always, forever and ever. (laughs) I think there is a positive component. For, you know, women to see things, learn things, access things that they may not have been able to with as much ease as we can today. Mm -hmm. So you're moving through your pregnancy experience. You see a home birth. You feel activated by that. You're like, that feels aspirational. Like, that's what I want to do. And then, you know, at the same time, you know, for someone who doesn't, who's ambivalent about their birth experience, like doesn't really know exactly what they want to do Mm -hmm. or Feels very strongly about being in the hospital environment, I agree with you. I do feel that there is this polarization on a lot of little areas on social media that glorifies a home birth experience, negates a hospital experience, and it doesn't really create a lot of room for, you know, a more dynamic conversation Mm -hmm. or kind of you know nuanced conversation around what these experiences actually require right. you know there's definitely more of like an aesthetic kind of pageantry yeah. vibe laid yeah. on that yeah and the truth of it is like there's some environments I think on social that are really awesome like I think carriage house birth birth of a mama have started to like not even started to they include both sides like you'll mm-hmm. we'll see some, ho- some hospital births you'll we'll see an awesome cesarean birth you'll we'll see a home birth and the truth is it's i think that's the type of exposure yeah. if someone is wanting to be on social media they need to be seeing all the different environments if you're going to be there because if you're just seeing one and you're getting fixated on one outcome and one experience it is going to be detrimental to your flow your mm-hmm. flow of moving through your pregnancy your flow of just being open to what your birth experience is going to be like right. in fact you know i will tell my clients depending on how sensitive they are i'm like no social media i'm like minimal yeah in terms of that environment birth parenting etc because i think it's so important for us to hold on to our imagination mm-hmm. to our own intuition around what we see the experience looking like absolutely and for most people yeah right And for most people, when they look at all of this imagery, it floods your brain and it can be, it can be like maladaptive. It can be not helpful to see certain imagery. So that's that like one component in terms of, is there definitely preferential treatment for different birth environments or birth experiences? Yes. And I, I don't think that that's helpful because what people don't realize about home birth or. Birthing outside a hospital environment, period, is that there's a level of dedication and, you know, mental commitment, not just for the birthing person or the mother, but for her partner, Mm -hmm. her family, Mm -hmm. her care providers. And to have that type of super tight synergy to make a home birth happen is actually not that easy. You know, it's not just like, I'm going to have a home birth and that's it. Right. It's like there's a lot of finessing and you know, mental, like softening, strengthening and all these components that have to go on to make that work. And I and I do feel sometimes what you're seeing is just the end result in a photo or like the last push in a video. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I want that. I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I do wish there was more discussion maybe in these photos or someone would do something a little bit more long form of just a psychological preparation of moving into home birth, the fact that there are going to be, you know, people that might push back on that, you know, that you have to really get anchored in terms of your relationship your partnership, especially your first baby to like pr- be protective of like why you're doing this and finding the right care provider, you know, and not risking out in terms of, and that's something I think it's a little under discussed as well. And so when I say risking out, You know, when you're birthing outside of the hospital, when you're birthing outside of the hospital environment or having a home birth, your midwife that's working with you can only work with you as long as you are able to stay low risk. Hmm. And sometimes at the end of pregnancy, there's hypertension, preeclampsia, you know, all these little things that can cause, you know, a client to have to risk out and they have to go to a hospital. And so I just think, long story short, to say, Everybody needs to feel supported in all of the various outcomes, home, hospital, cesarean birth. I think as women, we need full education, full exposure, and de-escalation of every single experience that we can move through so that if we have to be in this environment that we have not chosen, chosen to be in, we're not shaming ourselves. We're not thinking, well, I did something wrong. My body's broken. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not in a place of power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: There's this guilt that it didn't go right. I'm not strong enough. I'm not this, I'm not that. And that's, you know, I wanted to touch on that too, as far as supporting mothers who, whose birth plan shifted. So with Charlie, I didn't have a birth plan. I was young. I probably didn't even know what a birth plan was. I was 18 when I had her. So she'll be 10 in November. So it's been 10 years and I'm having my second baby. And I feel like I am just, of course, I'm a completely different woman, a completely different human being. And I'm in this space of being present and being really aware of everything that's going on with my with my mental, with my body etc. And the one thing that hasn't changed with this pregnancy and my daughter's pregnancy is I'm not creating a birth plan. And you can totally reprimand me if you feel like that's silly. But I'm not creating a birth plan because things don't always go as planned. And aside from me having a midwife and giving birth at a hospital, I... I'm okay if I end up, you know, not being able to have a vaginal birth. While that's what I prefer, I'm not getting my hopes tied up in that. I'm okay if I have to have a cesarean. I'm okay with whatever is going to happen as long as we end up, you know, prayerfully, God willing, with a healthy baby, right? So
1: 100%. how
0: do you, you know, what do you have to say about moms like me who are like, I don't, I'm not going to do a birth plan. I'm just not really go- I guess wing it, but not really wing it. Just not overly prepare because things change and
1: change is okay. Change is more than okay. And I want to, I mean, I'm not going to clap because <laughs> it would be too loud. <laughs> but I am silent clapping for you about your headspace around this because I'm in complete agreement that the two things that you need to take into your birth are flexibility and resilience. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe. That's the vibe that we're taking in. And I also don't believe in birth plans. Really? I like birth <laughs> preferences. Okay. I got there we some go. options. This is what I'm looking for. Can we potentially adhere to these things and you're educated enough about what the potential outcomes are to make, you know, informed decisions and you know what informed consent is that's what you need to write in with to your birth with Mm -hmm. a three-page letter saying hey you know hospital team like this is what we're looking for that's not gonna go down well Mm -hmm. you know they're not gonna be as receptive to that and you know also shout out to anyone that is creating a birth plan or birth preferences what I do want to say is if you are going to make it into a grid make it one page like a table with the different areas and the different things that you're wanting, that's going to be much better received by care providers in a hospital environment because they read charts all day and they'll be able to take in the information much easier. I've learned that over the years, but I think it's best to go in feeling flexible, but feeling informed. Yeah. So even if you're not writing it down, like you do know, You know in terms of interventions what your preference is Mm -hmm. you know that you would prefer one medication over another Mm -hmm. or after delivery you want no newborn care procedures for the first hour so that you can move forward with breastfeeding should you choose to breastfeed Mm -hmm. that's kind of my thing yeah have all the information and your preferences but be flexible and kind of flow with kind of whatever shows up i
0: love that that's that's wonderful Look, we get it. Your child is incredibly curious, and a lot of toys and activities these days just don't keep their attention. Well, keep them engaged with hours of fun with Little Passports. Little Passports is a subscription box full of toys and games for children of all ages that educates and entertains. For twelve ninety five per month, there's tons to explore right from your own home. Little Passports box is delivered right to your door every month, and each package contains exciting, hands-on learning for kiddos, three end up. You can feed their inner scientist with the science expedition pack, which is full of cool experiments to try, or you can even make your own slime. And just for my listeners, Little Passports is offering 15% off of any subscription. That means your child could be flying rockets or looking through a microscope in no time. Use offer code HeyGirl at checkout for 15% off your order. That's HeyGirl at LittlePassports.com. Do you love discovering new products? Are you a beauty and fashion maven constantly on the hunt for the next best thing? Ever read about or spot something online that you've always wanted to try but never have? Then you might love FabFitFun. It allows women everywhere to discover new products as well as including rave review and must-have brands that you know and love. It's like Christmas four times a year. Stumped on gift ideas? FabFitFun is also a great gift for someone you love. You can surprise your mom or sister with this awesome summer box packed with great items. Do you have a daughter who's going to college maybe or a friend who's a new mom? FabFitFun is an awesome care package. My last box came with this beautiful lotus towel. It was blue and it's shaped like the flower and it has a gorgeous design in the middle. That's something we've been laying out on the deck and relaxing on for a few weeks now. So what I love about FabFitFun is that they offer full-size products, no samples of anything. Every box is guaranteed to have over 200 dollars in retail value. The Summer 2019 box has a total retail value between $269 to $467. That's fantastic. Treat yourself with items in it, such as the Sutra Professional Mini Travel Blow Dryer, the beautiful Vicks Paula Lotus Towel, Or the West Elm Indigo Tie-Dye Bowls. Many of the products' individual value is more than the entire cost of the box. You can customize your box by choosing some products and some add-ons with each one. Or you can be surprised. It's great for discovering new brands and new products. What a better way to shop. I'm looking forward to my next box because they're always so different and packed with things I can actually use. I like to share the items in my box with my 11-year-old. She's really into skincare these days. We recently got a clay mask and a foot mask and a body scrub. She loves them all. The FabFitFun 2019 Summer Box is on sale now. So sign up for FabFitFun today. These boxes always sell out. You can use my code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first box. All you have to do is go to FabFitFun to sign up and get started. Use promo code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Go to FabFitFun.com and use my code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. The next thing I want to touch on is being a a woman of color in the doula space. We've kind of chatted about this too, and I've talked to another one Mm -hmm. of my doula friends about this how, th- this this question is like threefold. So number one, how does it feel to be a black woman in a very white space uh, right now? I mean, we're kind of always in a white space, but specifically when it comes to bringing new life into the world. Two, how can we get more women of color in the doula space? Just in your words, like how would you feel about that? And what initiatives do you think could take place to make that happen? And three, are you servicing, I know you're in LA. So do you service women of color where you're located right now?
1: So these are all really tender questions Mm -hmm. that are very close to my heart. So I'll do my best to answer all three. So I'm first generation Nigerian. you know, American. So my parents came over here, like from the village. Mm -hmm. My dad's a doctor, my my mom's a nurse. And in fact, you know, I only found out maybe three or four years ago that my grandmother, you know, was a midwife and made all the remedies for our village and and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. So when it it comes to being a doula in a very white space, I, it's a part of my lineage to step into this work. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when you're in a country like America that has been, you know, in many ways irreparably damaged by slavery, mm-hmm. there's a lot of forgetting and remembering and erasure. So I think what a lot of women of color may not even realize is that before academia was set in to, you know, kind of the structure of this country, all... Obstetrical gynecological care, especially in the South during slavery, was was practiced by Black women. Yes, ma'am. Black women were Black women were delivering all the babies. Mm-hmm. They also were providing all the newborn care. Mm-hmm. They were also, you know, participating in wet nurse, wet nursing. They were the doctors. Mm-hmm. That's who you called. And then, civil, you know, all the racial pieces that have created so much complexity in our lives kind of came in. And, you know, they decided to take that, that practice, that lay skill away from our women and place it into that academic structure. And all of a sudden it was obstetrics and gynecology and, you know, those hundreds and hundreds of black midwives were kind of shut, shut off, shut down. And that kind of, you know, culture basically disintegrated. Right. And so, you know, what ended up happening like in the 60s and 70s with this advent of like that, you know the hippie culture and like, you know, the revolution that was happening in the sixties, there was this desire to move back to a more quote unquote naturalistic way of moving through life, which permeated the birth culture. And there was this advent there that, you know, produced i Mae Gaskin and, and women like her. And all of a sudden the lore or the history of midwifery outside of the hospital environment, was reappropriated and connected to her and individuals like her. Mm -hmm. Now my feeling with that is I, I get it. I'm, I'm, it's important for the dominant culture to whip up and kind of reinstate certain things in order for everybody to hear. But at the same time, I think it has been not really given it's our, our history around for right has not really been given its own platform. Right. And so, you know, when I look at the doula space and I look at the fact that there are very few women of color that are prominent, it's, it's hard. It's something that's really, you know, it is uncomfortable for me mm-hmm. and it has made me very conscious of as I've been given, you know, more of a platform, more, you know, space to speak and talk about this to make sure that when I am in communication around you know, the racial disparities within this field, that we're reminded of the fact that it, is, so it was structural racism right. that erased the base of which all of this that is here came from. Mm-hmm. And so I feel very passionate about reclaiming a lot of that space in a way that is not negating of reality and mm-hmm. in a way that is not negating of other Races, mm-hmm. because the truth is, you know, you we we live in in the real world. You know, we're not going to be able to like shut out other people and other experiences. Right. And you know, my husband is Jewish. I'm in a interracial relationship, and so I think it's important for us to meet each other in the middle to create the community that we want to see and be a part of. But I think in order to do that, there has to be acknowledgement mm-hmm. of privilege. Yeah. Of privilege and acknowledgement of erasure and the the, the reason it, and it has to be understood that we are going to have to work a little bit harder to make sure there's more equity yeah. between ourselves people of color and people that are that are not of color mm-hmm. so i've pushed really hard even with loom it, it is a conscious decision to seek out other you know women of black women women of color you know latino women that are here in Los Angeles that are in the birth working field Mm -hmm. and have them be a part of loom, because that's the only way to do it, you know, is to say, I see you. And I think what you're doing is amazing. Come over here. Like let's work together because if we don't do that, we're all on our own little islands. you know, the effort's always better when we're together. And so it's been a deliberate choice to, to do that. And my partner, my business partner you know, is an ally in this for a number of reasons, but really understands that that is an important part of the business that we're building, not only for Duos but for the community mm-hmm. to build the world we see outside, inside of the business. And in terms of serving families of color, I'm very focused on doing that, you know, that said, LA, there isn't a massive black population here, but there is, you know, the ones that are here, you know, I have worked with many, many people of color in my practice over the years, more so even recently. And, you know, I think a lot of it is just showing up and knowing and and people being able to see people that look like them Mm -hmm. and being able to make that and and make that connection. And also there's a, a nonprofit I've worked pretty closely with over the past kind of two years called Alliance of Moms here in LA. And they work with foster teen moms that are pregnant and the predominance of those teen moms are, you know, women of color. And I've been really lucky to work pretty closely and do a lot of education and mentoring with those women as well. So whether it's, you know, women that are economically not as properly mobile or, you know, people that are executives and creatives, right. people of color have always been a big part of my practice. And I, I'm, I'm really focused on that.
0: that. That's wonderful. I'm so glad that you said everything that you said, because that is needed in this in this space so lastly um, I would love to touch on how you're not a mother yet but how that has influenced your work as a doula and will influence your future pregnancies
1: well you know I think not not being a mother has made this work really powerful for me. Mm -hmm. I think it's allowed me to have so much curiosity about every single person I work with. I never walk into a room and I'm like, well, this worked for me. So this is going to work for you. Mm -hmm. It it, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. I'm always just like, what are you doing? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're doing because I'm I'm curious because every birth is different. And I've, I've been able to kind of hold on to that, kind of beginner's mind, because I haven't had my own. And I think in terms of, and I think that objectivity and that kind of more relaxed, chill kind of sister vibe is what my clients have really been attracted to. It's like, this woman's not out here trying to judge me, push me in a certain way. She just has some good information. And I can take the best and leave the rest. And she's cool with that. Yeah. In in terms of my own pregnancies, I am excited. I'm excited (laughs) about it because I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like. And I'm actually, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with not knowing. And I'm also cool with wherever I land up. You know, I, I've seen it flip on a dime at the very end so many times. Um, I just know the most important thing is the team. It's providers that I love and trust. Um, it's you know, working with a doula that I love and trust. It's like those people are the hug. Those people are the cocoon. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it support so many of my clients over the years when that team is really sound, whatever's thrown at them is, you know, is manageable. And I think that's kind of what I'm thinking, you know, like, ideally, like, if I had a really low risk pregnancy, it'd be cool to Try and have a home birth just because I I trust it, I believe in it, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. But if I have to be in the hospital and I need an epidural, like, yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> like, there's no, <laughs> there's no, it's like, I'll do, I'll, I'll do whatever, you know? And if it's a cesare- cesarean delivery, I want a really incredible OB that's an incredible surgeon, mm-hmm. you know? It's just, it's okay. You know, it's I'll okay. be okay on the other side. Yes. I'll be okay on the other side. And I think that's an important thing to say, too, that birth is just a moment. There is so much work on the other side of that experience. Mm. And, you know, women need to be supported on, hey, this was two, three days of your life. Okay, what's the next 18 going to look like? Mm. And I think if if they get supported and anchored that whatever they're choosing for this birth experience, they are going to stay the same in many ways like this is not how you move through your birth is not a microcosm or a macrocosm of how you're going to move through your life. And if we can support women in that way and protect them for all the things that are coming, we're doing them a much better service as opposed to just getting so wrapped up in that that one experience.
0: Yes, ma'am. I love it all. Thank you so <laughs> much, Erica. It has been great talking with you. Before we go, Please let everybody know when your new book comes out, where they can get it, where they can find Loom on the internets and how they can connect with you and your team of wonderful doulas in the Los Angeles area.
1: Okay, so my book comes out October 24th. Yay. It is available. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> um, it's available wherever good books are sold. And you can find me on Instagram. My personal Instagram is just my name. So at Erica Chitty Cohen, hanging out on there. I don't post that much. I'm trying to get better at that. Bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of Loom, you can find us at This Is Loom on Instagram. And our website is thisisloom.com. And I think. I think that's all the spots. Hey. That's
0: all the spots. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I am just thrilled that we had this conversation and I know it's going to settle in the hearts of so many people who are in this space. So we will, you know, we will connect off off the air for sure. And thank you so much we for will. being my guest.
1: <laughs> thank you for having me, Bupa. I appreciate it so much. And I'm so excited for you. And uh, thank you for having me. Thank
0: you. Chat soon. Okay, Bye. Hey Girl is a member of the District Productive Network. Produced by Jamie Benson and me, Alex L. Music provided by DC's own Kokai.